Welcome to Cloud Radio, made for full-stack cloud operators. Cloud Radio covers all aspects of the business of software. All right. Excited to have Ashley Acosta on the show today. She's got a great background. She was on the founding team at Brex, Pipe, and now she's creating a whole new business called Maka. I can mispronounce anything, but it's a pricing-focused operating system. And Ashley, do you want to tell everyone more about what you're up to and your background? Of course. Well, thank you, Matt, so much for having me on the show. Yeah, a little bit of my background dates back actually to, I grew up in New Jersey. I was intensely pre-med from 14 on, ended up going to Cornell and uh, actually majored in nutrition because I felt like doctors didn't know enough about nutrition. While I was there, a number of friends were going out and getting eye banking and consulting gigs. And I kind of wanted to explore, you know, if there was a different path because I'd been so tunnel visioned on it. Ended up going to Mount Sinai. So I'm actually here based in New York. It's just uptown. Um, I was working with the chairman of orthopedic surgery, uh, Evan Flato, on tendon repair, regeneration. He's kind of like the mentee of the father of modern day shoulder surgery. So him and Charles Neer own like most of the patents in the shoulder. Ended up simultaneously working for the chairman of neurosurgery on a medical device that I approached him with. And we started, got some engineers on board and, and built a prototype. Um, although they weren't as serious, I think, on on really seeing it through. I kind of spearheaded this whole idea that, you know, a device or a service has so much impact outside the bounds of just a single person, right, if, if you're going into the, the field. And so I went out to Silicon Valley to check it out. And I did consulting for a year for large cap pharma. It was an easy kind of business transition. Although no one wanted to hire me, they thought I was going right back to med school. And so I actually got myself posted on YC's Bookface as a sales and BD consultant, which I had no business doing at the time, and then ended up actually getting my foot in the door in the health tech kind of sector for a few years, impressed some of the right folks, and then ended up basically getting put in front of Peter Thiel's recruiter, who was one of our early investors at Brax, um, Peterson Conway, he's now with Joe at ABC. And I ended up joining as the seventh boy at Brex. So a lot of the kind of early work, right, on early partnerships, reward partnerships. We were actually the first tech company to partner with AWS that wasn't a VC firm or an accelerator. And then kind of expanded those, you know, and, and kind of built a playbook out of them. Started to push sales up market behind Sam Blonde, who's now at Founders Fund. and learned a great deal amount from him as well. As we were going up market, right, we started to see kind of more competitors in the space and wanted to better understand how we could, you know, have more uplift and have more impact and value through product offerings. So I started spearheading a lot of the relationship management efforts and working closely with product engineering to identify those levers. Brex was trying to create a product role for me actually here in New York. And I ended up at the time, there was a lot of moving pieces. Um, COVID had also just hit. So I ended up actually joining Pipe as a sixth employee, I think it's easier to ride the wave of a successful company. I think it's really hard to continue to reproduce that pattern, right? It's a, it's a small sector and I was really interested in doing that. So when I joined Pipe, there was only a couple of customers, did a lot of the operational uplift, the hiring management of the CS sales teams, a lot of the business development until um, you know, we had Yasmin Moabin, who's now the CMO, COO, come on board and took a little bit of a break after because I took one day in between Brex and Pipe. And naturally, what you do when you take a break is you hire a professional coach to train you for half Ironmans. So that's obviously what I did. And through that process, I was actually just advising companies to just kind of see what's out there and, you know, stay kind of fresh. And I realized that most companies really struggle with pricing. 
Um, and so that was kind of the beginning of understanding that there was a rooted problem in essentially every every company and in, in every industry, right? But SaaS and kind of fintech are the sectors that I know more. And that was kind of the start of, of Maka and building, you know, the first um, operating system for value-based pricing. So really helping companies build that kind of iterative engine that allows you to price as tech companies grow and scale and your customers grow and, and change. We are in a very unique sector in that sense that we are constantly changing. Our products are getting added value. There's customers that are using the products in ways that we didn't realize, right? And so that value, that product value really changes as you grow in scale. Interesting. And to frame, you know, the problem you're tackling, which is pricing, how much revenue leakage is there like ballpark, typical company that hasn't optimized? Like what are they leaving on the table? Yeah. So it's an interesting question. I think you can either look at that in one of two ways. You can look at it from a snapshot perspective. So if we look at the data today, right, what is that revenue loss that we could have had if we had made some changes a year ago, say, right? If you take that from a lifetime standpoint, it could be hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Depending on the stage of the company. So I think it can be broken down into different stages, but it's also kind of how you slice and dice that data. So if you can think about, you can think about Maka as kind of a hub for data, right? And so what we've done is we basically said, okay, what if we gather these different data sources? So think like a CRM. So we've got HubSpot, you know, we have a really big partnership with Salesforce. Two is accounting, you know, systems. So ERPs, QBO, NetSuite, right? Kind of similar segment of, of folks that are overlapping on, on Salesforce and NetSuite. And then the third is data warehouses, right? Which is very, un it's different data. It's unstructured. So the way that Salesforce is very structured and you can pull like objects and fields, you can think of Snowflake almost as like a picnic blanket that someone tells you like, look at this square, right? And so you consolidate all those pieces together. And then what we do is, right, we've visualized it. And then now we have a product that allows you to basically continue to explore what these data sources mean, where they're coming from in a way that's a little bit different from like, I would say a, a look or a tableau where it's kind of these stagnant dashboards that require you know, some staffing and kind of engineering and some help to, to really put it all together. And so we've found even in just like the first month of working with folks that you have, you know, double digits, I mean, even like 15%, you know, of a revenue increase in pieces that were just basically slipping through the cracks in some sense, right? If you look at these data sources, you can say, well, even though you can build these dashboards in Salesforce, you're not pulling this holistic view of revenue, right? You're just focused on Salesforce. And typically those dashboards aren't going to be updated except for maybe once a year. So there's a lot of opportunities to have that slip through the cracks, right? We were working with a business that thought that they had two revenue channels. Turns out they had seven because the reps were actually selling different, you know, pricing structures that weren't actually technically approved, but it kind of just bypassed the whole system, right? And that actually happens quite often if you think about the way that SaaS is sold in pricing plans, right? So if you take like a good, better, best model, right? Basic professional enterprise, the chances that all the reps are selling within those structures are probably fairly low, right? It might be like more like 50-50 as you grow in scale, and so the idea is looking at that 50% that isn't part of those plans and saying, hey, is there something here? Is there a product feature that has added value? Should something be a component of these pricing plans or should it be an add-on and actually addressed to each of them, right? How does that actually, you know, 
what is the scenario planning situation that you can actually get to to understand that value and align it with the usage of the products that you build? And like when you're getting down to the product level, are you capturing like product analytics or like how are how are you capturing this unique data that it's all sounds like incredibly interesting, but I'm also just trying to understand like how your insights engine kind of finds all of these opportunities. Yeah. So some of it is some kind of like mapping analysis, if you will, because obviously there there's different IDs for each of these segments. So like Snowflake is structured very differently than, than Salesforce. But once you have that, right, you can start to see, I mean, we were seeing like there's a, you can see if a company's, you know, new product is actually being used or like why it's dropping, right? Even if people are getting charged for it, now you have a holistic view that, yes, you're getting charged now, but the churn rate or like the churn risk, sorry, is actually very high with these folks, right? So like would be a good time to reach out to these or, wow, really looks like this customer segment is using this product significantly more. Like, why is that, right? That should be a prompt for not only sales, but CS to really understand what is the value of that of that feature or that pricing plan that allows that customer segment to use it so much better. Like, what is that pain point that's being solved, right? And so when you think about Maka, it kind of is made to be kind of like a supercharger for data teams and execs that want to find some of these answers, right? And so if you think about the way that data teams are structured, especially as growing companies, you'll probably have folks that are structured around, you know, helping rev ops, helping sales, right? Looking at kind of like that customer data. Then you'll have folks that are working on, you know, strategic finance and really helping the finance team on, okay, how do we think about, you know, pricing from this standpoint, but not so much on like the customer basis. Or you have folks that are literally data scientists just working on Snowflake, right? Or just these this, these different aspects. And getting that holistic view is really difficult. So I think a good way to think about it is like kind of the way that Slack brought communication across all these different teams in a really easy way. We're basically trying to do that, but from the data aspect, right? But like really focusing on revenue as that umbrella. Interesting. And Kind of going back to one of the earlier answers in there, because I think a lot of this is novel um, when you hear what you're doing, is it seems like this is an issue that kind of is exponential with size, like as you move up in revenue, customer base, right? Like the chances that there are all these other revenue channels or kind of like shadow packages being sold by reps that for whatever reason you know, don't feed into your existing systems, that it seems like this is a problem that gets worse with time. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it's like, if you look at it just from a data or numbers perspective, right, it was like a big math and science person earlier, it's only going to get worse. And so I think the sooner that you realize, I actually think that there's this really negative connotation on pricing today, where it's like, it's difficult, everyone feels a little embarrassed to talk about it because they don't feel like it's right, but they don't know why. And, you know, everyone wants to feel like they're doing well and, and providing value to their company. And so it's this kind of touchy subject, right? But it also ends up encompassing so many different teams. You have to think about it. When you change your pricing, you're including marketing and all the messaging. You're training the sales team on the new pricing structures, right? And moving off of the old ones. You're now getting CS ready, you know, customer success teams ready to actually communicate why the pricing's changing why they should stay on all the, you know, high turn risk customers that have been 
you know, basically put together. And then you have to go through all that messaging and go through that restructuring and figure everything out on Salesforce and get those sales. I mean, it's a whole process, right? So no one likes to do it. I think what the struggle is today is that typically you're forced to, when you're at a certain point, at least once a year, right? I think once you're like getting, you know, pre-IPO, it might be one to every two years, but really you're going to have this discussion once a year if you're a growing company. Again, tech is one of the only unique industries that is growing as fast as we do. Our customers are, you know, adapting and changing equally as fast and our products and our product offerings are only getting better, right, as you continue to grow and form. And so naturally it's going to evolve. I think the challenge is then saying, you know, we don't want to look at pricing or view it as iterative, even though you're going to be forced to, right? And so typically when you're forced to, it's really pushed down from leadership, right? Maybe the CEO is upset. Maybe the CFO is feeling the pressure and you go out and under pressure, you try and reform the pricing, right? And you kind of have to do it within, a, you know, maybe a month, maybe it's a three month process, but it's not really looking at the structure from a holistic sense with all these different data sources. And so by using Maka, right, all of a sudden you're going to have these micro events as well that actually give you data so that when you get to the macro event, you actually have more data to be able to make that argument, right? A prime example of this is like, you know, you can basically create kind of like a, like a theme or a metric you want to start working towards. So let's say that reps are discounting, you know, 40% on average, and there's a clear upswing that if you reduce the discounts to 20%, you have a 37% ACV increase, right? Well, it's going to be really abrasive to go ahead and just cut those discounts quite a bit, right? And so what you want to do is you want to start saying, okay, if we're going to work towards this, what are the deals that come through that are actually giving us data that allow us to go to the leadership and say, yes, this is something that's valid, right? We're actually going to increase our ACV on this. We've been able to close deals, right, with these discounts. And it helps you kind of get to that stage as well as, you know, maybe using like our scenario planning tool to then say, hey, if I change these things, what does this look like, right? And that's using all these different data inputs that now we've had because we understand how to capture that data, how to translate it, and then show it, you know, through our platform. And what would some of those inputs be? Like contract term, payment term? Like what would be the offsetting levers to the straight up discount? There's a lot. I think what's really interesting about pricing is that it's so unique to every company. And that's been, I think, the biggest challenge, right? That everyone views it differently. But there are some inputs that are pretty standard across the board, right? So through our partnership with Salesforce, right, we're not only able to take kind of like the standard fields out, but any custom fields that are part of that. So you can start to see that. And, you know, again, by using that and, and then mapping it accordingly, sure, you can get a lot of insights from Salesforce in general that, again, maybe aren't being captured on those dashboards and are just kind of slipping through the cracks. But then allotting it with, okay, what does this usage look like? actually, right, from the customers or for these customer segments. So there's not only like the objects and field inputs that you would be getting from Salesforce or, you know, some items from like a net suite that then attach to margins, right? Like margins are really important as you grow in scale. Understanding the margins that you have for these pricing plans is something that candidly has been kind of neglected, I would say, just in the sense of like we wanted to grow and, you know, but when you dig deeper, the floor of these pricing plans still remains to kind of 
be unknown. And so part of that, you know, and part of the pricing efficiency kind of analysis, right, is basically saying, okay, are these pricing plans working? And if you feel like they're not working, then you should take a look because maybe they're not working, but there's clear reasons why they're not working or areas that you can start to iterate on and change. Some of those are really clear objects and fields from Salesforce. And then some of them are a little bit, you know, maybe unique and custom where right now for us, that's a great opportunity because the more that we have in variability, the more we basically set for our platform, right? In terms of, okay, this is what we're seeing. It's not standard across the board. We know that. But now we have more data points and more, you know, we're looking at every deal within all the companies. And so you can start to kind of consolidate these trends together, look at those plans and really understand, you know, wow, from a outward perspective, all the reps are selling similarly, but, you know, this this one's actually giving a high discount. That's like a quick Slack prompt to the VP of sales that maybe he just needs more training or to listen to some gong calls, Right. I know that that was a little bit of a roundabout way of answering it, but it's partly data and then it's partly like associating it again, cross-functionally with like, what is the right team to actually get access to this or start to get prompts with like our Slack integration, right? That will kind of send you these new updates as you're growing and scaling and going about your week. Yeah. And, and when I'm hearing this, I'm almost being sympathetic towards you where you start thinking of like how unique this is to every company. Right. Like it's almost like, well, how are you guys getting in there and helping solve this? Because it's very, very custom. Right. And that's a challenge. And I think part of that is like, again, I think understanding each of these data sources really well and then forming the associations. Right. So if you really start to say, okay, these are the objects of fields and we can start to build some machine learning models that now understand that these associations basically fit into the logic. Right. So like, how do discount rates vary across team members, right? That's like an easy prompt to then say, hey, well, we've got all these data pieces. We've already got these dashboards that basically come out of, you know, those data sets. And then anything else is actually just like a supplement to that, that we can take that's custom, et cetera. But you really are starting to basically bring a holistic view on, again, that business logic of what is the problem that we're actually facing as leaders today and how do we look and use our existing data to make better informed decisions moving forward? Interesting. I think this ties into a, a very good question we got from the Twitter audience. Uh, we had a lot of excitement for this upcoming episode. Question, what are the top key results and metrics to determine pricing effectiveness? I think it depends on the stage of the company. Early on, I would say that most folks want to just grow their users, right? That's typically the focus. There comes a point, and we're seeing it more now, obviously, given the market, but there comes a point where it basically turns into how do we get to profitability? How do we actually grow, right? And I think when you take that factor into account, you're looking at certain metrics like you might want to look at like average ACVs or what the average discount is across you know, these different products. You might wanna look at customer segments and industries, right? Those are all aspects that, yeah, maybe you can take out a Salesforce, but you can also take it differently from these different data segments, right? And start to better understand what is the objective of, of this company at this stage? And so where we kind of have been leaning, right, is more towards profitability. So we work with slightly larger companies, I would say Series B plus, where you have revenue, you have, you know, a sales motion. And early on, I think it, it's honestly difficult because there's not enough data and we're a data yeah. company. 
but you know, LTV CAC, like what does the revenue look like for these different customer segments? And also, again, when you're looking at the raw data, you're not limited to what is in Salesforce particularly. Like, so a prime example of this is, it's quite interesting. We've actually found that there's almost like, particularly with fintechs, folks either have like great conversions at smaller companies or really large enterprises. And the middle bucket of like, of companies is just not adopting software the same way right now, right? There could be a number of reasons for that. I think a lot of those growth companies are just trying to survive, right? Because they're trying to grow into their valuation. They're trying to, they're probably, you know, not looking at new software. There's a whole bunch of kind of reasons for that. But that's a prime example of even like being able to see that, right? Because we're looking at the raw data, not just the inputs is actually really unique. And so consolidating a lot of the data in the way that we have is actually really difficult. And that was kind of like our first step. Interesting. And another related question, how do you think about testing pricing and gathering learnings for long sales cycle products? So I think, well, my question would be what define long sales cycle? Because it could be. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, you, you might have some customers who, when you go do this A-B test, they've got a you know 90-day sales cycle. And then you know someone with a 180-day sales cycle, are they you know hampered by that longer sales cycle from a data perspective or iterating kind of in the way you advocate? Not necessarily. We have some companies that are working with large enterprises, right? So they have less customers in that sense. But you know, in longer sales cycles, I'd say one of them is probably like, like a six, 12 month sales cycle. And so, you know, they switch their pricing, but then we're not going to see a lot of that for a while, right? Because like their reps have to go out and start those deals with the new pricing discussions, et cetera. So I wouldn't say that it, we can certainly work with those companies if that's the question, right? I think it's more of, well, we can only help with the new pricing discussions when deals have been closed, right? Because then we don't have enough data. So hopefully that answers the question, but I think it's more, we can certainly work with them. I think it's just working on a different segment, right? So it's like, I think in that sense, it's probably less important on the specific breakdown of the cost as it is, are people using the product, right? Like do people like the product? What do the product analytics look like? Are users happy with it? Are you gonna have high churn in a low customer segment? That's not great for anyone. Interesting, interesting. And then I'll go with a, a tweet you had that I liked. And, you know, one particular area would be these levers uh, that we'll get into from this tweet. Test pricing using your sales levers, not by changing your list price. This will promote learnings about internal levers faster, and you'll be less likely to upset your customers by changing pricing on your website requiring less internal uplift to change pricing. So could you elaborate more or uh, yeah, on that? Of course. So I talked a little bit about this before, but just in terms of pricing changes are highly, highly involved within a company, right? So what I mean by less price is like changing that price that's on the website. That's going to lead to a lot of questions. Customers are going to be reaching out right? Saying like, okay, do I have to pay more now because I saw this upgrade or I'm coming up on my renewal, 
right? So getting ahead of that and having the communications is, is key. What I mean by basically using the sales levers, right, is that typically you do have those sales levers, especially if you, if you have like a great sales motion, right? These are definitely some of the tactics I learned from Sam Blonde, where, you know, let's say you have a standard good, better, best selling, you know, pricing plan motion, and you have an onboarding fee that you can waive. Or if people pay, you know, upfront for the year, the rep gets a better commission from it, right? So then, great, you have that revenue in the bank, right? Maybe you have, maybe you can throw in a couple extra perks that you have through some partnership, right? Maybe you can, it's going to be very company dependent, but I think part of that is what you're going to see, right, in the deals, because you're going to see those items within these data sources, right? Whether it's payment terms, whether it's like, you know, some calculator of a commission that's going to come through that, you know, maybe has just certain views. So like the reps won't see that, but like the admins will. There's a lot of different levers that you can start to use. I think what's important is seeing, okay, what is the value of those, right? Because if you're throwing in like a, a partnership that maybe the rep doesn't really know about, but it's just kind of thrown out, it probably has less value than like if you had a $5,000 onboarding fee, right? I bet that people are going to care about the $5,000 onboarding fee and probably in, you know, payment terms. Like if you're going to pay annual upfront, right? Pipe's whole kind of basis was that most people, right? Like 80% of companies will actually pay monthly because of the cash, right? And so if you can get, you know, that 20% and get people to pay upfront, great. But you also want additional levers there. And so what I mean by even levers outside of that is like, if you look at any, if you go to anycompany.com slash pricing, right? You can go ahead and you can see these nice structured pricing plans, typically three, right? As you grow, you might have another one or two kind of pop up, but you'll see components there, right? So you'll be able to see each of the components of pricing. Those can be used as levers. You know, there might be some that, aren't really thrown in there, or you might have some add-ons, right? That then you don't charge for. So if you had an add-on that's like, I don't know, unlimited page views or something, right? You're not going to charge for it, but you basically add that into the product focus. Maybe you don't even have the product ability to, you know, pull somebody back on that, but that's a lever that you can say, yeah, you've got unlimited, you know, dashboard views or whatever it is that then people can start to use. And I think, as you start to kind of go through the process and see these fields, you can start to pick into that what is working and what's not working from a data perspective that I think is a lot easier for a machine or a computer to form those associations than it is for a human to say, okay, I'm going to think back, you know, if I'm head of sales and I've got God knows how many deals in the pipeline with the whole team, two months ago, there was a deal that was kind of similar to this in the same segment, you know, same industry. And like they gave us, you know, 15% more than we expected on the opportunity amount. Like, what was that deal? That's going to be really difficult for a team to figure out. But a computer can surface that really easily and say, hey, it's better to give a 15% discount rather than the 20 extra seats. Because on month four, CS can go and upsell those 20 extra seats. Interesting. That's fascinating. It's like your insights engine is showing, okay, when we wave, the, the onboarding fee, our win rate is this, and and all of these factors is like 
a central source of pricing knowledge. Is that what you would characterize uh, your tool as? I Well, I think of it more as like a foundation for building a lot of that iterative pricing, but that's part of it, right? Is being able to say, okay, if pricing isn't working 100% today, what are those micro improvements, right? That to your, I think one of your first questions was like, what is the revenue loss, right? Well, if you take each of these into account every single month and annualize it, and then multiply by how many years a company's been in business, that's going to be a lot, right? And so I think the dangerous part is like, we haven't really been at a place from a technological perspective where machine learning could actually like really supplement this kind of you know problem. And I think that it's even more exciting now because what you're doing is you're not only associating every customer's contracts, but you're starting to see, right, long-term you can get into benchmarking. I mean, at Brex, we had this newsletter, right, that was really popular where we would basically take like aggregate spend or, you know, vendors that people at certain stages were really interested in or how they migrated onto that. And I think that's really interesting, right, because now you start to get into, okay, if I'm a hardware-enabled SaaS company at like this, you know, range of ARR, like what does pricing look like to me and what's worked for the companies that have scaled really well? Interesting, interesting. And how should you, you know, I imagine with all of these decisions a company is making or like what to price their product, you really need to understand like the ROI, right? And holistically, you can know like what the overall ROI of your product. But I'm curious, like when you start getting into the, the lever level, do you need to know the, the return and benefit of each lever or feature you're offering? That's where working with us on a more like long-term basis, right? Really makes sense. Cause you can start to see that association, right? If you think about like data sets and kind of even from a really basic standpoint, right? When I was doing research in Mount Sinai, it's like, you don't want any data set that's under like an N of three because that's not gonna be statistically significant. So I think the more months you have, the more associations, the more benefits you'll have, right? It just kind of gets like better and better as you use it. I think to one of your earlier points on just how companies like kind of grow and, and how this gets worse is like, usually when you start a company, right? The CEO says, we're gonna price this way because, I want to see where it lands or you price according to competitors, right? Well, maybe the competitors haven't gotten their pricing right either. And like maybe that initial gut feeling was a little bit off. But if you don't iterate on that pricing using your own data, you know, every year or thereafter and like really build that foundation, it becomes a lot harder to do. And if you were off here to start, you're only going to get further away, right? That makes sense. And historically, a lot of this pricing type work has been done by, you know, boutique consultancies who go, you know, interview customers and get feedback and kind of traditional consulting. Like, what is the weakness of that model versus your data driven model? Yeah, I think there I think there are two very different ways to tackle the problem. Right. What I would say is, I think if you were to go to, say, like a Simon Kucher you know, the process is basically they would go through and they would interview a handful of your customers asking on the willingness to pay for X amount more, right? It's a little bit biased because if somebody asked me that, I would say I'm not willing to pay more, right? But, you know, they'll take some of that data, but they won't really take it from a holistic standpoint on all these different aspects, right? Most of these companies have a pricing matrix, so they'll certainly look at that. 
They'll certainly look at not as granular of, of a level, but basically look according to like the external market heavily. So what I would say is we look at this more from how are you doing as a tech company today in terms of your pricing data, right? We help you basically build that foundation to internalize this process moving forward so that you can scale with it. Simon Kucher's SaaS business has 50% of their companies re-engage. Why is that? Because none of this was internalized. There's no institutional knowledge on what was done. And they kind of move forward with a gut, you know, maybe you had a gut feeling to do something and they come back with this recommendation and you move forward on it, but no one really knows why. No one was really part of the process, right? It's the nature of consultancy is that you are the third party that makes the recommendation and doesn't see it move forward, right? Come back a year later and say, oh, okay, we get to do it again, right? But that's going to cost you north of 500K and most likely, depending on the size of the business, into the seven figures. And so the question is really, do you want to internalize that early or do you want to just export that to consultants because you're, the problem that you're solving for is how do we compare it to the rest of the market as opposed to how are we actually optimizing our internal process today and not letting things slip to the cracks, right? I think I'll be realistic in that Maka doesn't have the whole spectrum of the external market as it stands because we don't have every SaaS and fintech company on board, right? But that only grows as we grow. But I think it's a, it's a little bit two different sentiments on internalizing the process versus, you know, externalizing it. And then just to recap for the audience who might be hearing this and recognizing they're struggling with pricing, like, yeah, what type of company size yeah, so we uh, work do you with work with? A range of businesses. We'll work with, I think it's a little bit funny with the market right now, but I would say like Series B companies, obviously with like upwards revenue into, you know, public. And so there's certainly a range. And I think it really just is a testament into the problem that we're solving for. And obviously each of these stages has different problems, right? I would say like a series B company is kind of just getting to that profitability turn on how do we actually optimize this? How do we actually grow? How do we, you know, start to scale the business? Whereas a company that's either pre-IPO or, or public, right, is probably dealing with a lot of inefficiencies across the data team, kind of how I mentioned before, where they have a bunch of different requests from different orgs, but they're not really able to bring it in holistically. And the leadership can't get questions answered based on kind of those siloed efforts, right? And so there's different problems that we address kind of throughout, but we certainly have a range of customers we work with. And then in terms of like, because there's a lot of data integrations, a lot of specific or company specific nuances to get, like what's the time to value kind of the onboarding uh, with Maka. Yeah, so we've made it. I mean, we did a lot of work on making this really simple. So it's basically what we're saying is like no code, no maintenance, right? It's basically just like set up once you set it up. So the beginning is essentially just onboarding. It's connecting and hooking up a bunch of your systems, right? So that just like allows us to actually get that data. And then typically, you know, you'll be seeing value, obviously, like as the deals come in through Salesforce, et cetera, you'll see that value in less than a month. I mean, you can see it in like a week from the insights, or you could, you know, kind of at that month mark each, each month after you're starting to get that snapshot on what's changing or the trends, right. That are being tracked. And so what that allows you to do is then say, wow, we are getting, you know, these customer insights. These are really valuable. 
we, as part of this, you basically get like an exported packet that you can have. And a lot of people are bringing these to offsites right now for discussions on pricing and what they want to do, right? On areas that basically just slip through, right? And it's not anyone's fault. It's just as a company is growing and scaling, a lot of these pieces, they're not viewed, again, from the holistic standpoint. They're viewed kind of in siloed segments according to whatever structure was was input from the beginning. And usually that's not changing. Okay, yeah, like a, a week-long, month-long payback just kind of speaks to the low-hanging fruit here. And it, and it makes sense, right? Like these are difficult problems to address, and so there are going to be a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Interesting. Well, is there anything you want to plug? I know you guys are growing, hiring, uh, anything else yeah, you want to mention? Yeah, no, thank you. Well, great questions, and I'm, I'm glad that there was, um, you know, some fun engagement on Twitter about, how to, how to think about pricing. Thanks again for having me. I think right now, honestly, we're just bringing more folks on board. So anyone that's struggling with pricing, I would say, again, Series B plus certainly can work with. And we're typically working, you know, with some of the leaders. So like CROs or CFOs that are really interested in like, how do we actually optimize this? Right. And then also, I think from that stance, there's a big cross-functional effort underneath. And then, yeah, we're just, we're continuing. We're actually hiring a handful of data folks, closing on some pretty shortly, but that team will only continue to grow. So always looking to meet exceptional people. Okay. Well, hopefully uh, some data scientists are in the audience uh, beyond our usual CFOs and investors who listen to this type of thing. And look, it's been great having you. I'm really intrigued by what you're up to and we'll be cheering from the sidelines, as they say. Thank you so much, Matt. Uh, This was a pleasure and great questions. 